This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today, Dynasty. I am your host, Heath Cummings, joined by my good friend, Chris Towers, and we are going to break down week one from a Dynasty perspective. It's the first in-season, true in-season show of this podcast, Chris. And, uh, you know, we're going to feel around on the the way that we want to do this. We're going to talk some waivers. We will definitely talk some trades. We'll talk some Dynasty risers and fallers. But the first thing we have to talk is the fallout from the Aaron Rodgers injury. I mean, it's what are the chances four snaps into his career after they do this whole thing where he's got the American flag and everybody's and four snaps. It's just unbelievable that this could happen. Like week one was enough of a disaster for fantasy football. Please do not ask me how my teams did this week because I don't want to talk about it and I won't answer any questions and just like the perfect way to add injury to insult with like one of the worst week ones I can ever remember for fantasy football. It was. And and if I remember correctly, the last couple of years, week one hasn't been great. There's some people who think that it's because of the changes to the CBA and them not playing as much football um, in training camp and in the preseason. I don't know what the reason is for it, but I don't you think know, it's going to stay this way. I have a theory, actually. For fantasy okay. football, you said we'll go quick before the show, and I'm already derailing things. But my theory, <laughs> teams are so restrictive about what is or isn't allowed to be reported in training camp. This is something that like, I've been doing this job for 12 years, and I follow training camp news pretty closely as part of it. And like, you can learn so much less about training camp in the last two or three years, really since the COVID season. Mm -hmm. And I really think it's made the fantasy football world's job harder because we just, we know nothing in week one, but we know even less than nothing in a lot of cases because we're just assuming things that we have no real evidence for. It's, it's made things very challenging. Well, what we do know is that the Jets are not going to have Aaron Rodgers this year, and that changes just about everything. So I've got, we always start three questions for the guest. Three questions about the Jets. Chris, should Brees Hall vault right back up to Dynasty RB2 after his incredible showing in week one and now the fact that the Jets are probably going to be a 60% run team? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the thing with Zach Wilson taking over as the quarterback for the Jets is like, we've seen what this offense looks like with Zach Wilson, and it's bad. It was very bad for Garrett Wilson. It was bad for the passing game. Brees Hall looked like one of the best running backs in fantasy in this offense. So I do think, yeah, I mean, you've got him three to start the season, right? He, Behind well, he Jameer had Gibbs, B. John Robinson. He has, that's where he's moved up to okay. this morning. I I've started, okay, okay. I've started move making changes in the rankings. And so it's going to be confusing if you were looking at those while we're talking. I but yeah, I, I had him, I am down around five or six. I was really looking at this year mm-hmm. as a flex year that maybe you get a month at the end of the season of great production. Now I'm thinking he's probably a flex in week two because he's facing the Cowboys, but he yeah. might be a low end RB2 by week four. And he might be the top he, he might be an RB1 by, yeah. by week four. I mean, the, the, the usage, look, it depends on how quickly they step on the, the gas here, but. We saw it. Two carries in the first half. I think he ended up with 10 total. So they they had to get him more involved when Zach Wilson took over. And I think that's going to be the case. It, it accelerates the timetable. And they'll, look, they'll try to be you know cautious with him, I'm sure. And Dalvin Cook will still have a role. But like all those Michael Carter snaps from yesterday, that, that's gone next week, I have to think. It's going to be... I would say. I, 
I think it's like going to be a 50-50 split. Bijan's the one back I'm certainly going to have ahead of yes. all. Gibbs probably still as well, but but those two are going to be right right in the same neighborhood. Question number two, this one's much more sad. Is Garrett Wilson a sell for contenders? We saw we've spent the whole offseason talking about uh, remember how good Garrett Wilson was when he didn't have to play with Zach Wilson? Well, now he doesn't have to play with Zach Wilson anymore at all. Well, it turns out he has to play with Zach Wilson for 16 more games. And I thought even the touchdown catch last night was so indicative of what he's going to have to do. Mm-hmm. Not only had to catch the touchdown, he had to break up the pass first and then somehow also caught it. He's a superstar, but I don't like I'm not sure he's gonna have good quarterback play at any point in the near future. And the issue with Zach Wilson, and look, I don't know, maybe everything we saw, we heard out of uh hard knocks and, and all the, oh, he, he's more prepared than he's ever been coming into the season. Maybe that'll turn out to be true. I don't want to write Zach Wilson off entirely, but the issue has been not just that he's not good, but that he doesn't throw to Garrett Wilson. We saw five of 21 targets last season, last night. That's like a 24% target share. Given that the volume was that low, that's a really disappointing number, I think. Um, 21% target share to Garrett Wilson last season when Zach Wilson was in the game. I just... Zach Wilson doesn't operate well enough within the structure of the offense to maximize Garrett Wilson is my concern. And yeah, I look, I I don't want to sell Garrett Wilson in a dynasty league because this is just one year. And if he's a low end wide receiver two, and you sell him for low end wide receiver one value, you're probably going to end up regretting that. So I I don't want to give up on him. Chances are, if you're in a dynasty league, you've been dealing, you've been playing for multiple years and he's not, like the anchor wide receiver one the way that he would be in a redraft league. So my, my hope would be that I don't have to sell him, but I can see the case for it. Yeah. If you can get a wide receiver one for him, who's not, you know, I I wouldn't do it for Deandre Hopkins, certainly, but you know, if I could get Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill, I would do that. Yes. Because Tyreek Hill is going to be a lot better than Garrett Wilson the rest of the way. Okay. So four wide receivers, um, the, Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Waddell, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. Where does Wilson rank in dynasty amongst those wide receivers? He was ahead of all of them uh, 24 hours ago. Is he still ahead of all of them right now? The only one I would say I I would definitely take over him is Amon Ross St. Brown. I just, the way he's locked into that offense, the role that he has, I think that's going to be a long-term thing. I would still rather have Garrett Wilson than Jalen Waddle and Chris Olave in the long term. Um, but, you know, Olave and Waddle rest of season over him for sure. The final final question, um, and this is a, a dynasty question because we don't know when Aaron Rodgers is going to come back. And he's still really young and young quarterbacks do improve. He's got a great number one wide receiver. Is it possible that Zach Wilson is passable like in the second half of this season? It's possible. I like I I'm I'm still so snake bitten by believing that Josh Allen would never be a viable passing quarterback in the NFL that I never want to write off young quarterbacks. He's what, 24? Is he is he even 24 yet? Because I think Zach Wilson was 21 when he came into the NFL. Um so like I don't want to write him off, but no, what we've seen is he's been arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL since stepping on the field. Like he's lowest on target rate in the NFL last season, below 60% completion percentage in an era where that basically never happens for quarterbacks. I, the other part of it is just this just offense really doesn't have that many playmakers. It's got Garrett Wilson, right? And then it's guys that Aaron Rodgers liked three years ago in Green Bay. Like Randall Cobb played a lot of snaps last right. last night. Alan Lazard played a lot of snaps. They need to Mikko get Hartman, Hartman on the floor. Miko Hartman didn't play a single offensive snap, which is just ridiculous. So yeah, I I don't think this Jets offense is going to elevate Zach Wilson, and I certainly don't think Zach Wilson's going to elevate this Jets offense. Well, that's some really positivity. Let's get to the rest of the positivity. J.K. Dobbins lost for the season. This stinks. We'll talk about waiver replacements. Just a quick question on Dobbins, though, because like I know there's some rebuilders out there that might be thinking, is this a chance to buy low? And then at some point in the future, I'll have an RB1. I Any hope for that? Or is it just if you have him, stash him on your IR and pray, everybody else stay away? I mean, if you play in a league with 
a six round rookie draft every year and you can give up a fifth or sixth rounder like there's no cost there really if you trade for jk Dobbins. but no he's he's absolutely not someone that i think is, is should be a high priority ad you're talking about no value the rest of the season heading into free agency coming off the worst injury that a running back can suffer so he's probably going to get a one let's say one year two million dollar deal somewhere with no guarantee right. money probably not going to be particularly useful next season Maybe he he spikes towards the end of the season like we saw with Cam Akers in his first year back. But no, I unfortunately, I, I think J.K. Dobbins' days as a viable fantasy option are done after this. Yeah, and they, they really, there weren't very many of those days. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, it's, it's very sad. Greg Dulcich expected to miss multiple weeks. Uh, same hamstring that he hurt earlier in training camp. This is probably... A bad sign for this year for him. Two questions with this one. Any interest at all in streaming Adam Troutman, who I think had five catches, definitely had at least five targets in their first game? And then are you holding Dulcich, still hoping that he might be a, a tight end one late in this year or in 2024? There were already some pretty bad vibes with Dulcich's role in, in Denver. Excuse me, Sean Payton. I mean, we saw little Jordan Humphrey play significantly more than Marvin Mims. Sean Payton is doing the I'm a former head coach who's only going to trust guys that I've played with before thing, at least early on. And the thing with Dulcich is it's not just that it was an injury he dealt with in training camp. He also missed the first five games of his rookie season with this same injury to this hamstring and the final two games of his rookie season. So this is a recurring injury now. I... I would like to hold on to him, you know, but in, in redraft leagues, I'm, I'm certainly dropping Greg Dulcich. I don't think he's worth stashing because I already had questions about his immediate role in, in dynasty. I think he's still talented enough, but he's not such a can't miss that, you know, like Luke Musgrave is probably rostered in all dynasty leagues, but if he wasn't, I would rather have him than Greg Dulcich. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think Dulcich stays inside the top 20 tight ends and I do still have like, Listen, we're just shuffling through guys we're hoping might be top 12 yeah. this season, and, and Dulcich might be that guy as well. But he's someone that like ranks pretty high on my tight end two list to keep on the roster. I do have a roster with Mark Andrews, David Njoku, Chigo Conquo, and Greg Dulcich. Really thought I was covered at tight end. I think they combined to score six fantasy points in week one. So looking forward yeah. to uh, some, some improvement moving forward from that group. Deontay Johnson expected to miss multiple weeks. Um, a guy that I have on the dynasty waiver wire that I, I'm really trying to keep this to, you know, guys who aren't rostered in that many leagues. Alan Robinson was rostered in less than 5% of leagues, Chris. I, not the type of player that anybody was holding and stashing and hoping he was going to be better in the future. And pretty heavily involved in the offense. Jacob Gibbs did a good job earlier in the week. Um, I, I guess it was yesterday. That was the only earlier in the week. Talking about how George Pickens is still pretty much just running go routes, mm -hmm. corner routes, post routes. Um, I don't know that this injury is going to change that because I'm not sure Pickens can run the other routes successfully. I, how concerned are you about Deontay Johnson? And then is Allen Robinson actually someone we might add and consider using? Is he going to see all those targets? Uh, so Allen Robinson was already involved uh, before yeah. the injury. So the guy who actually stepped up and was playing more snaps and, and had six catches himself was... Calvin Austin. Now, I think the average depth of target was 3.8 or something. So, okay, I, I so don't definitely think Deontay Johnson's targets. <laughs> well, actually, so the thing that was really frustrating is, you know, in the preseason, Deontay was getting a little bit more downfield right. work. I think his average depth of target on the three, three or four targets that he had before the injury was like 13 yards down the field. So th there was a lot of talk out of Pittsburgh Steelers camp about them being more aggressive. I, I would rather take a chance on Calvin Austin than Allen Robinson if I'm betting on anyone just because I think this offense, one, I think Allen Robinson's washed up. Two, I never bought the Steelers offense taking this big step forward. So I'd rather bet on the young, you know, dynamic guy with the ball in his hands to to at least have a chance rather than Allen Robinson. You know, we know what he is. So I, I'd, I'd rather take a chance on Calvin Austin. The, the guy who may become something someday as opposed to the guy who's probably not going to be anything anymore. Um, who speaking, hasn't been something in four years, yeah. Speaking of which, we do have, of course, and I think you guys have all seen it now, it's confirmed. We talked like it was already confirmed, but Aaron Rodgers has suffered a complete tear of his Achilles, left Achilles tendon. 
he is out for the season. It is currently Zach Wilson's show. I've seen some talks about maybe the Jets add Carson Wentz. They ought, maybe they bring back Joe Flacco. Um, I, I think they're going to make every effort to see Zach Wilson start the rest of this season. But it, it could be somebody else, and it could be that whoever that somebody else is is better for Garrett Wilson than Zach Wilson is, because that's been the case for most of their careers together. Let's take a short break, and then we'll get to some week two waiver ads for Dynasty Leagues. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back, and and I just, before we get into this, Chris, I want to kind of tell the audience, because I understand, and I hope you understand the complications of putting together a list of waivers for Dynasty Leagues. Some of these leagues go 40-man rosters. There are also 10-man Dynasty Leagues with 20-man rosters. There's a wide, wide range of who might be available. What I'm going to try to do this week is mostly keep it to guys that are rostered in less than 10% of leagues. There will be a few exceptions. Uh, mostly keep it, and I'm not going to include the rookies that are in less than 10% of leagues. I will I will ask you, though, as we're doing this show, when you think about it throughout the week, if you think we need to be a little less deep, a little more deep, please let us know. You can let us know on Twitter. You can let us know in the comments here. You can send us an email. We want to make sure that we're helping you guys the best we can. And we know that you guys is not one individual thing. It's a, it's a whole bunch. So at the quarterback position, we've got two guys below 20% rostered. And I think Mac Jones in all two quarterback leagues, obviously rostered one quarterback leagues, though, last year was a pretty rocky one for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some shallow leagues. He's 16% rostered in CBS leagues. That was a big, big game against the Philadelphia Eagles. He threw it way more than any of us thought that he would. Were you encouraged by Jones? I know he made some throws that uh, that you have to think, like maybe he could have a Ryan Tannehill type career arc. Sure. Yeah. I I think the problem would be that I I still don't trust the weapons here. You know, like Kendrick Bourne had a nice game. I I think I actually added him in our dynasty league just before kickoff on Sunday, which ended up looking really good. But I don't think Kendrick Bourne, I mean, we've seen enough from him that I don't think he's like a number one wide receiver. Juju Smith-Schuster did not look particularly good. The reports about his knee, not particularly uh, promising. So I still think Mac Jones is like a QB two at best, but in a week when QB play was pretty lousy across the board and in an era where QB play over the past couple of seasons across the NFL has not been as good as we've gotten used to because the way defenses are playing, you know, those two high shell safety coverages have, you know, really taken away a lot of explosive plays. The fact that Mac Jones looked pretty good, I I think is a promising sign and, yeah, if, if you're playing the long game, he's only 25. So I, I right. think he's fine. I'd, I'd rather have him than Zach Wilson. Right. Zach Wilson, the other starter who's probably available on most waiver wires, definitely mm-hmm. a 100% must add in super flex. And I'd rather have him, I think, the, the rest of this season than Desmond Ritter. And I might rather have him <laughs> for his career than Desmond Ritter. And there might be a couple other guys that are falling behind him soon. So he, he's 2% yeah. rostered in CBS leagues. I think Wilson will be a guy who you can start in a two quarterback league against the right matchup. This is not the right matchup. I don't want to start him against the Dallas Cowboys in week two, but definitely add and stash. And maybe it's just add and immediately trade to that QB needy team in your league. And then you don't have to be invested in the success of Zach Wilson. That feels good. Three guys who are not starting, but I think over the weekend, it became more likely they would start a game. Malik Willis, Taylor Heineke, Clayton Toon, all 2% rostered. Um, Willis was the QB2 for the Titans. Ryan Tannehill was awful. Will Levis was inactive. I think there's a chance he gets another shot this year, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing where why not see what you've got if Ryan Tannehill looks as washed up as he did in week one. Now, I think it's probably given who Mike Vrabel is as a coach and the the philosophy and, and mindset that they have there. I can't see them pulling the plug on the season at any time soon, but 
you know, let's say they fall to, you know, did, they didn't win this week, did they? No, they lost by one point okay, to the Saints. Yeah. So like, let's say they fall to 0-4, Tannehill right. gets dinged up. Might as well see what you've got in Malik Willis, who by all accounts had a good training camp, won the job. So, yeah, he was the guy that I was thinking of. I, I The problem with Taylor Heineke is Arthur Smith is still the coach. And right. like he, he is ideological commit ideologically committed to winning or losing his way. I don't know if he's like specifically doing it to troll fantasy football people, but he did have a quote after the game about we're not playing fantasy football. We're trying to win games. And it's like, okay, yeah, you won one game against a bad team with a rookie quarterback who threw two bad picks late in the game. Congratulations. You've won seven games the previous two seasons. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Nobody has ever gotten more credit for seven win seasons than Arthur Smith. I'm, I'm sick of him already. Well, you, you, better, uh, you know what? I'm sorry, but you're going to get a lot of them this year, and you're going to get them in the playoffs, <sighs> I think. Um, no. So, <laughs> no. Nine of Desmond Ritter's 18 targets went to running backs. His average, his intended air yards was like 3.9 per pass attempt. He's he's not a real coach, and I don't want to take him seriously. Last one. Go go. Make sure Clayton Tunes rostered as well. I can't imagine this Josh Jobs thing is going to last very often. They're yeah. hoping for Kyler back at midseason. I bet we get a four to five week stretch of Clayton Tune starting. Yeah. And who knows? He might he might show us a little something. At running back, there's there's two guys, maybe three guys on this list that are in that probably rostered, but go make sure they're rostered. Kyron Williams, 13%. I expect him to be the RB1 for the Rams rest of season. It may be a 1A situation. He might get hurt. But right now, I think he's clearly ahead of Cam Akers. Josh mm-hmm. Kelly, 19%. Austin Eckler has the ankle injury. Kelly looked good and is the clear number two. So even if you're just rostering him as a handcuff, he should be rostered in a much higher percentage of leagues. And then Zach Moss, 24% rostered. Probably just a two- to three-week starter. We don't know for sure that he's coming back this week. But he gets the Texans this week. Deion Jackson was absolutely terrible, and Evan Hole got hurt. And so I think this whole committee approach is probably going to be 15 to 20 touches for Zach Moss until Jonathan Taylor is back. Agreed with that one. The thing with the Chargers was, you know, we focused on Kellen Moore being the offensive coordinator and, and changing the passing game. But one thing that you have to keep in mind about those Cowboys teams is they ran the ball 500 times last year. You know, it was Kellen Moore was an aggressive offensive coordinator, called a lot of downfield shots, played very fast. And that's what we saw. But what we also saw was they ran the ball and they ran the ball really, really well. I think it was 216 yards as a team. Uh, Kelly had 91 yards. If Austin Eckler doesn't play this week, I think Austin or Josh Kelly's a top 15 running back right. for fantasy. So, and it, you if know, he, if he plays this well as he did in week one yeah. in an RB2 role this season, there's a good chance Austin Eckler's not there next year. We and we could be back to the pre-Melvin Gordon fall-off days when Austin Eckler was a must-start fantasy option and a top five guy, but there could be contingent value for Joshua Kelly the rest of the way, where he's a you know a flex starter if you're desperate. So I was very encouraged by what we saw there. And then Karen Williams, it's just there's something with Cam Akers and Sean McVay where Sean McVay says the right things. He's got a little of that Pete Carroll in him. It's a volatile relationship. Chris. He, well, it's a Pete, volatile. Sean McVay's got that Pete Carroll in him where he's always positive when he talks to the media. Like the, the guy never says a negative thing about anything. And that's the case when he talks about Cam Akers. He's like, this is a really important guy for our offense. He's going to be a centerpiece. And then he plays four of the first eight snaps. And then Kyron Williams plays 22 straight snaps to close out the first half. Kyron Williams had more carries than Cam Akers heading into the fourth quarter as well. He, I think he's the clear lead back. Not the clear lead rusher, but the clear lead back. The, the, the only the cold Rams. water that I will throw on Kyron Williams is this team has not thrown to their running backs in three oh, yeah, years. That's, they, yeah. did, they did not throw their mm-hmm. running backs in week one, and we still think they're probably bad. So it might yes. be a lead back on a bad offense with no pass catching role. So I, I wouldn't I, go break the bank on Williams if he was yes. on the waiver wire. I believe in the Sean McVay era, no team has thrown to their running backs less than the the Los Angeles Rams. Especially if you take away the the first year of yeah. throwing to Todd Gurley a bunch. Because they did that one year mm-hmm. and then they just completely stopped it. Three guys who are below 5% or below. Rico Dowdle, the clear number two running back to Tony Pollard. I think if something happens to Pollard, Dowdle is going to be the guy. And so he's 5% rostered as just strictly as a backup. He should be rostered in more leagues than that. Justice Hill, 
3%. I dropped him in probably three or four different dynasty leagues when we got to roster cut down day just two weeks ago. Well, that felt great. I, I think he's the best running back on the Ravens rest of season. Now, I'm not saying they won't add somebody else who will be better. But if you if you were staring at a league, Chris, where Gus Edwards, and he's not really available probably in mm-hmm. most dynasty leagues, but Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, and Melvin Gordon are all available on waivers, who are you adding? I would probably go with Gus Edwards. I, I s- Smart people have made the Justice Hill case, so I don't want to write it off, but Gus Edwards started three of the four drives after Dobbins left the game. Justice Hill has been in the NFL since 2019. He has one game with 10 carries in his career. Yeah. He did get the two touchdowns this week, which was great, but you're not going to get points for that moving forward. And my concern is that he's going to be you know, a, a six to eight carry, two to three target guy. And at least Gus Edwards should have you know, double digit carries most weeks moving forward. So I I would rather have Gus Edwards this season. I think there's almost no 2024 and beyond value for either of those guys. No, not, not for them. And you don't think there's any chance that Melvin Gordon comes in and all of a sudden is uh, Latavius Murray or Devontae Freeman. Well, yeah, I I think that is a chance. Yes. But I, I think that also says the, the level of excitement and interest you should have is the, the thing about this Ravens offense is really since that Mark Ingram year where he caught five touchdown passes and and scored 15 total, I think. Uh, am I remembering that correctly? That was Mark Ingram, right? Yeah, that was Mark Ingram. All right. After he um, left the Saints. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this really hasn't been a particularly good offense for fantasy running backs. And we were hoping no. that would change with J.K. Dobbins and Todd Munkin taking over as offensive coordinator. Now, I just think it's going to be a gross committee and and there's like RB three upside in any given week, but not a lot more. And I, I will say, and this was a, a tiny sample size, so don't take too much from it yet. But the thing about their prior offense was that the, it generated five yards per carry for almost yeah. every running back who played in it. It seemed like uh, that was not the case in week one. And it's not the same offense. Lamar Jackson didn't have a designed quarterback run in the first two and a half quarters. So I'm not so sure that, that it's even going to be an efficient offense for running back. One more name at running back for deeper leagues. Chris Rodriguez mm-hmm. um, had one fewer touch than Antonio Gibson. Gibson had a fumble. Ron Rivera has had a love hate relationship with Gibson. I think it's it's at least possible that we're a week or two away from this being a, a split between Brian Robinson and Chris Rodriguez. So I'd like to add Rodriguez in deeper leagues. Yeah, I think that's fine. I I was hopeful for Antonio Gibson that that red zone it was a red zone fumble too. So that hurts even more. Um yeah, I the usage was very discouraging for Antonio Gibson. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to wide receiver and the name that everybody's been saying in the chat since I said the word waivers. Puka Nakua. I know for a lot of you in Dynasty Leagues, he was drafted in the fourth or fifth round or he was picked up right before the start of the season. He's still only rostered in 10% of CBS Leagues. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of people in the chat saying, how much do I spend in waivers on him? I, I think we need to start with, Chris, like what type of role do we think he has the next three weeks? And then we go into what type of role does he have with Cooper Cup? And then maybe the bigger question, because I I think Gibbs has been big on this as well. He did have some numbers in college that suggested Mm -hmm. elite upside. Do you think he has elite long-term upside as well? So take it kind of in those three stages. Elite upside is a tough question to answer. He's a fifth-round pick, but he's already like, this is already the best debut for a fifth-round pick ever, probably. So like... He's already beating the odds. Matthew Stafford looked amazing this week, looked like last year never happened, which I always thought I thought it was an, an under-discussed storyline coming into the season that he wasn't throwing in training camp last year. And he's right. completely healthy now. And I think people just kind of discounted that. Matthew Stafford's a really good player that defenses have to worry about. They have to trust or they have to, I don't know what the word is, trust. It's too early in the morning for this. Yeah, defenses uh, don't have to trust Matthew Stafford. They have to respect. They have to respect Matthew Stafford. That's the word I was looking for. And look, Tutu Atwell and Van Jefferson are pretty good deep threats. So I I really liked what we saw from Pukunuku. I really liked what we saw from the offense. I think he could be... I've got him ranked as a wide receiver three for week two, and that's not as aggressive as I wanted to be. So I, I could absolutely see him being a top 20 wide receiver the rest of 
the time that Cooper Cup is out. And the fact that he played a bunch outside, you know, it wasn't right. just like playing the slot and, and running option routes and stuff like that. That suggests to me that he's going to still be on the field when Cooper Cup comes back. They really like him. He's a great after-the-catch guy. He showed some downfield abilities. Matthew Stafford overthrew him on what could have been a 40-yard touchdown late in that game as well. He he had a very he had a huge game. It was very, very close to being an absolutely monster game. So I've got Puka as a borderline number two wide receiver this yep. week. So I'm, I'm I think he's a he's a start for the next three weeks. I think the upside is what we had with Robert Woods and yeah. Cooper Cup after Cooper Cup became the clear number one, not when they were both yeah. borderline but, top twelve wide and, receivers. Yeah. And that's the thing is he was a, a useful rusher in college as well. So that that's something we've seen Sean McVay use Cooper Cup in that role. But obviously Robert Woods was getting like twenty carries per season at his peak with the Rams. I think he could see that kind of usage as well. He's the, he's the top priority. If you're not desperate for something this mm-hmm. week, he's the top priority on the waiver wire in, in redraft or dynasty. If he's available right. and I don't if I don't need a running back, that's, that's the only thing. If I don't need a running back for week two, Pukanaku is by far the top priority in redraft. I'm thinking 20% of my fab. Yeah. Uh, in dynasty, probably more than that in a deep dynasty league. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, there might not be another player in a deep dynasty league who has this kind of clear, immediate role. I've got five wide receivers under 5% roster rate, Chris. Rank them and then sell me on why one is number one for you. Josh Reynolds, Allen Robinson, Kendrick Bourne, Tutu Atwell, Demario Douglas. And this, in case everybody else missed this as well, Demario Douglas had seven targets in his debut. I know they threw 50 passes, but still, he was... He was involved, and they might have benched Juju in, late in that game. Yeah, the only other thing to keep in mind with the Patriots, with both Kendrick Bourne and Demario Douglas, is no Devontae Parker this week, who right. apparently, by all accounts, was playing you know 100% of the snaps in, in training camp and, and was a big part of the offense. So that's something to keep in mind. I think it's either Kendrick Bourne or Tutu Atwell. Jacob Gibbs has had some really good stats on Tutu Atwell. He's at close to two yards per route run for his career now which is a very solid number um probably more of just a a deep threat but with matthew stafford i think that could be a, a useful role so i think i lean atwell overborn but i might at least in the short term you know if Devonte parker's not back in week two especially i think hedrick Bourne could be could be the guy so those two clearly at the top for me i would probably go like I said, Calvin Austin ahead of Alvin Allen Robinson, and then probably Demario Douglas right there after those guys. I do think like that Jared Goff Josh Reynolds connection. We've seen that mm-hmm. flare up in the past. I think as a short term starter, it's possible that he's the best of these guys. I think Robinson could be okay as a short term fill in. Um, but but I I like for the for the bench it's Tutu or Demario Douglas both of those guys have some pretty interesting appeal to me we've seen the Patriots take a wide receiver multiple times that nobody thought was going to be heavily involved and throw it to him 120 times in the season so the, the one thing to point out with Kendrick Bourne he was in the doghouse last year they they were not happy with him he barely played right. at times he was really efficient in 2021 his first season with the Patriots he had 800 yes. yards on like 90 targets I think um so I, I think he could be, you know, a useful like it's it's not going to be a reliable option, especially in PPR. But I think he could be someone who they, you know, has six or seven useful weeks throughout the season. Yeah, let's get over to tight end, which where six or seven useful weeks might make you a top 10 tight end. It might make you a top five tight end this season. What an absolute disaster. But a couple of older guys had some encouraging things, both. Hayden Hurst got his revenge game touchdown against the Falcons. And then Logan Thomas actually led Washington in target share. I, of all the things that I thought Eric Bieniemy might bring from the Kansas City offense to the Washington Commanders, throwing the ball to Logan Thomas 27% of your pass attempts was not it. But it wouldn't be the first time that Logan Thomas surprised everybody and had a fantasy-relevant season, at least until he gets hurt. And then Kylan Granson. With um, Jelani Woods on IR, Mo Cox got banged up in this game. Granson was the top tight end target for Anthony Richardson. Shane Steichen's offense has, in the past, featured a tight end pretty heavily. 
I think it's it's obvious if you're just looking for a second tight end, a bench tight end, it's Kylan Granson's the better option because Hurst and Thomas are, are too old to be on your dynasty bench. But are you have any interest in streaming Thomas or Hurst this week? Thomas probably more so than Hurst. Uh, it was the the Panthers' offense was weird. It wasn't as concentrated as I expected it to be. Especially like Hurst only played. I think ran around on sixty four percent of the pass plays. That was a little discouraging. Whereas Logan Thomas was seventy nine percent. This was a very concentrated offense and you know, eleven personnel for the the Commanders pretty much every snap of the game. So. I do think I would prefer Thomas to Hurst, even though Hurst did get the touchdown. Um, you know, Thomas or Hurst has, you know, Mingo we expect to be better moving forward. DJ Shark wasn't there. injury. I thought you'd be doing some some Mingo victory lapping this morning. Just like I thought it like that was all the, what what more confirmation bias do you need? I I I week one is if nothing else an exercise in trying to avoid confirmation bias for me. I I, I really work hard to not do that. And and look, it, it's his first game. I had a lot of questions about the fact that Jonathan Mingo couldn't beat out non NFL players in college for targets, and then he was going to beat out NFL players in the NFL. Week one wasn't a great sign, but he also didn't play a full complement of snaps. So I don't want a victory lap there. I just, I, I think maybe if he more, was better, he would have played a full complement of snaps. Perhaps there, there is more, uh, there's more certainty in Logan Thomas's role than Hayden Hurst is what I would say. I think there's just more clarity in what Washington is going to be. I think they're going to be a better offense than the Carolina Panthers. So I, I would prioritize Logan Thomas over Hayden Hurst, but it's a it's like a 51 to 49 coin flip. And then for a deeper stash, Cole Turner, I mean, if something does happen to Logan Thomas, who is older and has a long, extensive injury history, mm-hmm. it may just be that the next tight end is going to see a 20% target share in this yeah. offense as well. The other thing I do want to point out with Kylan Granson, I believe Andrew Ogletree, uh, who is a 2022 NFL draft pick, yep. he left that game also with an injury, uh, another tight end for the Colts. So, you know, it could be Kylan Granson by default in an offense that was surprisingly pass heavy. I think they dropped back to pass 44 times in the first game. So that was a uh, that was very good news for Anthony Richardson, obviously. But it, it was surprising for the whole passing offense. We we have talked too much negativity with the the Aaron Rodgers injury, the J.K. Dobbins injury. Uh, let's we're gonna we're gonna be be positive after the break here and get to uh, five dynasty risers from Week One. It's time for some positivity, Chris. Now, we still have the followers coming, so we're going to go right back to the negative here in just a second. (laughs) But five guys who I've already – I will get my rankings completely updated for quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end by the end of the week, and we'll have those on the site. There also will be an updated Dynasty trade chart, both for Superflex and 1QB leagues on Sportsline this year, getting updated every single week. So no more waiting a month to see the new trade chart. You'll have trade charts for both formats this week, hopefully by Wednesday night if I meet my deadline. Here's five guys that I know already are moving up. Uh, One of them is a little bit of confirmation bias, but Tua... We, we both talked about this, Chris. If he could just stay healthy, he might be an elite fantasy quarterback. He's moved from QB 12 to QB 10. I don't think he's done rising yet. I mean, someone said this to me on Twitter yesterday, and I don't agree with it, but like he was a Chiefs fan, and he said, I'm a Chiefs fan, and when I watch the Dolphins play, I'm like, how did the Chiefs not get this out of Tyreek Hill? And like, Tyreek Hill was awesome with the Chiefs. I don't want it, but like all that talk about 2,000 yards, like... It's not totally impossible with the way they run their offense. I I grew up a Dolphins fan, and the way I describe it is it's like a phantom limb. You know, like when somebody loses their arm, but they still feel it? That's right. how Dolphins fandom is for me. I'm not emotionally invested in the Dolphins at all, but it's still there. And I never thought I would like watching the Dolphins play offense. It's just never been a thing. I love watching the way this team plays. Tua Tagovailoa. We, we get our jokes off when he underthrows some of those deep balls, but man, he is operating at such a high level in this offense. He might just lead the league in passing if he stays healthy. He might lead the league in passing touchdowns. This, this yeah. offense is absurd. And okay. the only team that slowed them down when he was healthy last year was the Chargers, and he just destroyed them. 
So yeah, I, there are no performance concerns for Tua Tagovailoa at this point for me. It's it, just can he stay on the field? It will be interesting to see if Belichick has anything that he can cook up and maybe show to the rest of the league. Um, that's who they play this week. I, yeah, the guy I have him one spot behind is Justin Herbert, and I just I, I, like I, I have a process where it's what I expect this year, what I think their mm-hmm. upside is, what their age is, and then what their risk is. The only area where I prefer Justin Herbert right now is risk. He's a much, much safer QB1 yeah. for the future. But I think Tua has more upside. And, and I'd it, rather have Tua this year. The Chargers offense didn't transform in the passing game as much as we thought. And look, that could be just when Austin Eckler's there, you're going to throw a lot of dump offs, right? Like that's just always going to be a p- big part of the offense. But it wasn't you know, this super downfield oriented passing attack, I think his average intended air yards was up to like 7.2, which was up, but still lower than his first two seasons. I still think Justin Herbert's likely to be a borderline elite fantasy quarterback this year. But yeah, the way you said that you only feel better about Herbert in terms of risk. I think that's reasonable at this point. That's fantastic. Okay, we've got a running back, Javante Williams. We already mentioned Brees Hall and how good he looked. Javante didn't look as good as Brees Hall, but he was very involved. And the Sean Payton throw the ball to your running back before anything else is completely came with him, just like Marquez Callaway and little Jordan Humphrey and Adam Troutman <laughs> and others. Huge target. Javante Williams led this team in targets. <laughs> I'm, I'm like... I one of the punchlines of the first year of this podcast has been, well, we all had Javante Williams, the top five dynasty running back a year ago, and now he's down to RB20. He's back up inside my top 15 running backs, and I could absolutely see a path if he played that much in week one coming off the ACL to where he's back inside the top 10 pretty quick. Yeah, the only problem there would be is is he ever going to be a 65% snap share guy in this offense? Like that's another thing that right. Sean Payton did in New Orleans was very often it was it was always two running backs and it was never one guy playing 70% of the snaps. So I don't know if there's a ton of room to grow in terms of the playing time. You know, he already played 29 snaps and 45%, but yeah, I mean, the the usage is going to be there in this offense. I, I'm still very skeptical this offense is going to be good. Week one did not uh, do anything to change my skepticism. But yeah, the the fact that he seems to be so far ahead of schedule, the fact that he's playing as much as he is, the fact that they're not scared of giving him the ball, you know, 19 opportunities in week one, that's that's a great sign. So absolutely. Yeah. Another another guy, surprisingly high usage, but not because he was coming off of an injury, just because he's always been a backup running back. Kenneth Gainwell is the starting running back for the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles. Those rumors and reports were correct. DeAndre Swift is not. Um, <laughs> three opportunities for Swift, and he, he blew one of them. So I could kind of talk about Gainwell. Do you still just view him as probably going to lose that starting job at some point before the end of this year? Or do we view him as he's a starting running back and he might be a starting running back beyond this year? I I think he's just a guy. I, I don't like he's a fifth round pick. He's shown very little in terms of playmaking in his career. I, I think it's a we trust this guy more than we trust anyone else. But as soon as someone gives us a reason to elevate them, I think we'll see that. So I, I would be surprised if we get to week 18 and Kenneth Gainwell they're all healthy and he's still the lead back. I, I would be pretty surprised by that. I think he's just a get what's there guy. And I think Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift at their best can be more than that. I just think they've got to give the coaching staff a reason to trust them. And that hasn't happened yet. Clearly. I will say coaches really like get what's there guys. Yes. Yeah. They, no, that, they that's like, like them a lot more than the fantasy community. Yes. And with that Eagles offensive line, what's there is often five yards of carry. And so I, I do think, Gainwell's definitely one of those backs that if I was in the rebuild and he popped on my bench, I'm trying to go sell him right now. If he gets, if he scores a touchdown and and people like we get two or three weeks into this, then I absolutely am trying to sell Kenneth Gainwell. But I also don't want to sleep on the fact that he might just be a top 24 running back rest of season. Zay flowers, Calvin Ridley, two wide receivers who will rise in the rankings when they get updated this week. Calvin Ridley, man, 
There's just nothing to doubt at all. Looked 100% like Calvin mm-hmm. Ridley. The only concern now is, because Michael Thomas looked pretty great his first game back last year as well, can Ridley make it through the entire season? But I think he's going to approach top 15 value, a little older than people think that he is, so yes. he won't probably get into the top 12. But superstar who could be a top five wide receiver this season, not sure we need to say a whole lot more about him. Zay Flowers, first off, he and Pukunakua lead the NFL in target share. I'm not sure the last <laughs> time two rookies did that week one. But he is just so special with his route running mm-hmm. and the way that he moves. And I was trying to figure out is where does he rank with Addison and JSN after that showing in week one. And then where does he rank with last year's class of wide receivers? We got super excited about the breakouts coming from Garrett Wilson and Drake London and Jahan Dotson and George Pickens. Flowers is ahead of a couple of those guys for sure. I, I, I'm really... I'm going to be scouring the internet. Like I already read Ben Gretsch's stealing signals. I, I, I want to see what like the smart people have to say about Zay Flowers game, because I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. Not necessarily in, in as good a way as a 45% target share would make you think because six of those 10 targets that he got were either screens, RPOs or pop passes. Now that's a great sign that they wanted to get this guy involved in the offense as early as they did. But when we're talking about like a more typical game, where you know Houston didn't really give them any problems. I, I thought Houston's defense played really well. Baltimore's offense wasn't that great. But like in terms of like we have to do things, we have to move the ball downfield. This is a an urgent matter. There was never any situations like that for Baltimore. So I do want to see what it looks like. One, when Mark Andrews is healthy, because that's a big thing. And two, when they're just like running real routes and running right. a real passing game, because they're not going to be able to give him thirty percent of their par- passes were designed for for uh, Zay Flowers. That's a great sign that they wanted to get him the ball, but doesn't tell us much about his ability to actually earn targets, which is, I think, a, a key distinction when you're talking about a longer term. So for redraft, I think Zay Flowers is a sell right now coming off week one. I don't think he's likely to have another 10-target game anytime soon. But yeah, for Dynasty, it, it bodes incredibly well about how that organization feels about him. I just think like it's easy to say Puka had 10 plus targets in week one of his rookie season, but these are the reasons you shouldn't get too far out over your mm-hmm. skis with him. When you're talking about a first round pick in the NFL draft, sure. who has the production profile that Zay Flowers does mm-hmm. and the measurables, and he gets double digit targets in week one, I'm less likely to to worry about if there were a couple of weird things that caused that. It just kind of feels like it's to the moon, but uh, it, it Definitely, when Mark Andrews comes back, it's going to be very interesting. I thought it was notable. Last year, when Mark Andrews was out, a bunch of targets still went to the tight ends. Mm-hmm. This year, week one, Mark Andrews is out. That did not happen. I don't I don't think that means it's a hugely different role for Mike Andrews, Mark, Mike Andrews, but it might be a little bit different role for Mark Andrews. More room for the wide receivers. And Flowers seem to be way ahead of Beckham and Bateman, at least. On the other hand... They basically just didn't throw the ball down the field at all in this right. one. And that's been Mark Andrews, like Mark Andrews splitting the seams and, and pushing the ball downfield has been his role. So right. it might just be that, look, they threw 22 times. Like it, it might just be that like there was just, they didn't have to do anything in this game. So they didn't. So I don't want to draw any sweeping conclusions from the Ravens offense at week one. We've got five losers as well. One of them we already talked about, J.K. Dobbins. Chris said you're not going to try to catch as they as he falls. I wonder about the rest of these guys. Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, Sky Moore, Kyle Pitts, week one losers. They are falling in the dynasty ranks. Any of these guys that you're thinking, you know what, I might go make an offer and see if their, their manager's getting scared. Uh, Swift. Yeah. Like I said, with, with Gainwell, I, I think it's a situation where the Eagles are looking for Swift or Rashad Penny, but more, more likely Swift to give them a reason to use him more. I don't think Swift ever going to be like an 18 carry guy here, but he could get what Gainwell got in week one. If he, if he gives them a reason to down the line. So I, I would be trying to buy him sky more. That was such a poor showing that I, if the bottom has fallen out of his value, maybe I'll try to draft him, but that might just be whatever the opposite of confirmation bias is. I think the kids call it copium. Yes, uh, copium. That, that might just be what that is. I actually, Drake London's a bigger loser than Kyle Pitts for me. And it's mostly just because 
if Kyle Pitts catches 50 passes for 700 yards this season, that's a not terrible outcome. It's not a good one. Okay, I understand what you're saying. And when you're talking about like their value this season, I understand. But Kyle Pitts has valued and has been as either one or two, maybe Uh three in terms of dynasty tight end rankings. And this is year three of that. Sure. And he's not come close to justifying it. And so I that the thing I wonder is, and for two years, it didn't really matter because the guy who drafted Kyle Pitts did it with the first pick of his rookie draft and was mm-hmm. the biggest Kyle Pitts believer and wasn't giving up on him. That's fair. At some point, that's going to wear off. Like, is, is there, would you rather have Kyle Pitts or TJ Hawkinson in a dynasty league? Yeah. Hawk was still <laughs> very heavily involved. I, I would still probably rather have Pitts, but it, I I feel very, very bad about the Falcons offense. I, I just I, I really I was hopeful that Desmond Ritter being quarterback would maybe they'd operate 80 percent like a normal NFL offense. And they played incredibly slow. They dropped back to pass 22 times. Desmond Ritter never threw the ball down the field. And, and people will say, well, he, Arthur Smith's just trying to win with the team he's got. Well, they they had a chance to upgrade on Desmond Ritter. They decided not to. This is the team they want. Like that. That's that's the thing that, that concerns me is that they've got a soft early schedule too. This is another situation where they could be four and four again, and everyone's viewing that as a major success for for Arthur Smith. I will feel better about Kyle Pitts the more games they lose because I want Arthur Smith to not be the head coach there. Yeah, I think it's fine to have. Kyle Pitts as a faller. He still looked really good when he got the opportunities. I think he drew a couple defensive interferences, um, had one big catch, but I don't think you can feel good about anybody. I don't feel better about anyone in this Falcons offense after week one than I did in week zero, except for, I guess, Tyler Algier, which doesn't make me feel good. Yeah, and he, and he did move up the ranks. I think there's a chance that he could be a, a flex this season, and maybe he does enough alongside Bajon Robinson that at some point in the future, in 2025 or 2026, he gets a chance to start mm-hmm. at running back for someone. He's apparently a very good rusher, um, was really good last year, was outstanding in week one. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd rather have Hawkinson right now than Pitts, and the worst thing that can happen right to, now, a, for sure. yeah. to a dynasty manager the worst thing that can happen is when you have a coach that's not using your guy the way that you think he should or not running the offense the way that you should, but he wins enough to keep his job. Um, and I, I do have some concern that they're going to win the NFC South this year, which is probably what it takes for him to keep his job. And that we're staring at 2024, Kyle Pitts looks a lot like 2023 and 2022 mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts. No, that's that that's would, perfectly fair. It would be a disaster. I agree with you. If you are the Pitts dynasty manager, I'm probably not selling low. I'm just cheering against the Falcons <laughs> and hoping that they lose. Ah, we got through it. We got through the uh the, the week two fantasy football today. Dynasty, we've got your your waiver wire ads again remember please let us know you, you want them deeper do you want them more shallow should we talk more about kenneth gainwell this week i think he was probably rostered in all of your leagues we will uh we'll process that feedback and we'll, we'll do it even better next week we'll talk to you next Tuesday.